George Elmore owned the Waverly Five and Dime in South Carolona in 1946. He was an African-American, and he tried to vote in the primaries, and he was turned away. 1947, there was a group that, and he was part of, that filed a suit for equal access that they would be able to vote. They won that suit. It was at great cost, though, to George. Um, after this, the bank immediately called for him to pay the entire loan on his house, and he lost his house. White, he also, he owned this business. He also owned a liquor store. He drove a cab. He was trying to make ends meet. Um, white vendors would no longer sell him liquor, and he eventually wouldn't, couldn't get his liquor license renewed. Um, it became very challenging. His wife um, went crazy um, from all of the stress and the depression, and she ended up in a mental institution. July 21st, 2012, many years later, George's son was present for the erection of a plaque in front of this store that honored him for his courage, for what he accomplished, for what he helped to build in terms of equality for African Americans. 2012, it took that long. But at this ceremony, there were government officials, there were cultural leaders, there were church members from a large church that is right next to this store, all of them present to honor what this man had stood for, what he sacrificed in order to gain more equality. This morning in Ephesians, as we come into chapter 4, there's a shift that is taking place. Chapters 1 through 3 are quite dense when it comes to theology. There is much there, and I hope as we've gone through these sermons, you have gathered that. Hopefully it's been brought down to such a way that it wasn't completely overwhelming, but there's a lot there. As you hit chapter 4, there's a shift. There is still theology in 4, 5, and 6, but there's also a shift into more of a what do we do? For three chapters, there's this foundation of everything that God has done. And you hit chapter four and it becomes now, therefore, start doing this. And the very first thing Paul does is he says, I want you to walk in a manner that is worthy of what God has done. Right? He is kind of setting that plaque in the ground and he's saying, I want you to acknowledge what it is that God has done. But I want you to do it by how you live. I want it to be more than a plaque. But it's that moment for Paul where it finally gets put into the ground and he says, here is how I want you to live in light for this. Open up a Bible, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 1, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, 
what we are about to read, where Paul starts, this is not easy. I want to be very upfront. What he is about to call us to do is not easy. This will be a challenge for everybody. It'll be harder for some than others, but it would be a challenge for everybody. However, you also need to know this. Paul is speaking from experience. What he is about to plead, where it says, I therefore, a person would urge you, that urge is actually way at the beginning of the sentence in Greek. And it's the word to plead. Um, and it's usually used with people that you're friends with. It's not so much a man standing back and exhorting everybody else to go do something as it is a man leaning into his friends going, I am pleading with you to do this. And this prisoner for Christ, he's already mentioned this, but he's bringing it up again because it is absolutely foundational to what he's about to say. What I am about to plead with you to do, I have done. I have been doing. Read through his epistles at some point. Just watch the way that churches, Jews, at times, believers even, treat the Apostle Paul. And yet, he stood fast, even to the point of going to prison. So everything I'm about to say, it's kind of like this. If you want to know something about raising young kids, you can talk to me. I'm in the process of doing it. Like I have something to say. If you wanna know what it's like to go to war, don't talk to me. My only resources are like Saving Private Ryan, okay? I've watched movies, I've read books, I have never been to war. Talk to somebody who's been to war. Paul is about to plead with us to do something that he has done for his entire ministry to the point that he is beaten, he is shipwrecked, he's gone through starvation, he has been stoned, he has been imprisoned, and he's in prison right now. He is speaking from experience. And here's what he says. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, he doesn't tell you in this spot right here what that calling is. He's been doing that for three chapters. He has been telling us everything that God has done for us, what he's called us to, all of these beautiful ways that God has blessed us through redemption and forgiveness and a hope and a future and an inheritance and all of the things we've been covering. He says, now I want you to walk or to live, um, to move, to be in relationship. I want you to do things in a particular way that honors that. I want you to walk in a manner that is worthy. It's the manner that he's talking about now. You've already got the call. You know what he's done. Now, will you walk in such a way that it honors that? 
It has been very, very painful for a long time to be a Dallas Cowboys fan. I mean, you feel kind of like you're playing it. You're like it's ping pong back and forth and we're going to win. No, we're not. We're going to win. No, we're not. We're going to make it. No, we're not. And I mean, every time your hope gets up, you're just dashed to the ground. And then the 2016 draft. And all of a sudden, we have hope. Ezekiel Elliott is drafted. And he's paid $25 million dollars of guaranteed money. To do what? To win a Super Bowl, right? I mean, isn't that ultimately what it's about for them? The reason all the money was given, the reason the coaches do all of the practice, the reason they give all of the time, it's to win a Super Bowl, right? And if you get paid $25 million, you'd think it might impact how you live, right? Yeah, many of you know exactly where I'm going with this because you've been reading the stories. All right, I don't know what he's going to ultimately be found guilty of or anything else, but I can tell you there are at least four distinct things going on with him right now. Four things that are not walking in a manner that is worthy of being drafted fourth overall, being paid $25 million. It's not honoring his team. It's not honoring the owner. He is walking in a way that is exactly the opposite of what Paul's calling us to. Paul is saying, you have been given this. Now here's, I want you to walk in a manner that honors it. What is that manner? Look back at your text, starting in verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. All along, God's plan, at its very, very core, involved something. And I'm going to go back into chapter 1 and read one part for you. This is Ephesians 1, verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Chapter 2, he says it this way. In verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one. One. A little bit further down, he will say one new man. Unity. One body, it is not a nice thing. It is not just an extra thing tacked on to whatever God is doing with salvation. It is actually a fundamental foundation for what God is about. He is unifying heaven and earth. 
He was bringing Jew and Gentile into one body. That unity is where Paul starts. And he says, I want you to walk in a manner that honors what God has done by bringing you into one body, what God continues to do as he works through this one body, and where God is going by uniting all things in heaven and earth into one person in Christ. I want you to walk in a manner that is worthy of that. Now, if you want to know how important it is, think of all of the mentions theologically in 1, two, 3, and recognize when Paul moves to his application section, this is where he starts. He does not start with sexual immorality, no matter how important that is. He doesn't start with anger, no matter how important it is to keep our anger under control. There's all kinds of things he could have. He begins fundamentally with unity. He says, I want you to walk in a manner that is worthy of what God is doing. This is his plan. Will you honor it? Christ gave his life to bring all of us together. Will you honor it? How? Walk this way. Humility and gentleness. Humility is a, a, an attitude. It's an approach to things. Um, and it may be best to define it. If we looked at Philippians chapter 2, where he actually gives the opposite, and he says, don't act in selfish ambition or in a conceited way, but with humility. And he puts those two against each other. He says, instead of having an ambition that is about where you are going or what you want or what you think you might need, he says, I want you to go with humility. Instead of conceited and thinking of yourself as, I am smarter than, I am better than, I know more than, instead of starting from that point in relationships, he says, start with humility and gentleness. An interesting word that is only used a few times in Scripture. But one of those times, Jesus calls himself this. That passage where he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened down, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, for I am gentle. Yeah, that, that, that's where he describes himself. And, and it's in opposition to the worst of the Pharisees. I won't say all of them because they're not all bad, but the worst of them. Those who were harsh, always critical, attacking, judgmental. I am gentle. If you've been worn down, come to me. And here Paul says, I want you to approach people, relationships with humility and gentleness. Now, I've shown you so far the way in which Ezekiel Elliott is not walking in this way. I'm gonna show you now how I was not walking in this way. Not being gentle and not being humble. There was a moment in the church and it was about two years in. I don't even think it was that, probably a year and a half in. Um, and it was a Sunday morning 
And it was right before the service was going to start. We were in the second Kids Are Kids. And I come in, and Trey and Aaron are practicing a song. And the moment I heard it, I was so irritated. (laughs) And I was thinking to myself, literally I was thinking this, just you can pray for me later. (laughs) How dare they don't do what I told them to do. I am in charge here, not them. These thoughts are running through my head. And I walked up to the two of them, and I said something, and they they may actually remember, I said something to the effect of, um, I I didn't even remember, it was like, I I guess you decided not to have a woman sing this or something. (laughs) And then just walked away. It's like five minutes before the service is supposed to start. Well, I then went into the back, and there were also some issues with the altar guild. Now, if you've never seen our altar guild, um, especially at that point, it was a couple of beautiful ladies that like, were grandmothers and were giving of their time to make sure that we had robes and, and you could all do communion and everything. And, well, something was wrong there too. And I walked back, and there was this little room where we were doing everything. And I walked into the room, and I don't know what I said, but they all scattered like I dropped a bomb in there. And they're running around trying to figure out what to do, and I'm going, yeah, that's what people should be doing when I talk. (laughs) And then after the service, I had to face my wife. (laughs) And she let me know just what a I have so many words in my head right now. I was. It was exactly the opposite of humility and gentleness. I did not care why they did what they did. I only cared that I wanted it a certain way and they should have done it that way. I did not care why there was a mistake with the altar guild. What I cared about is we were gonna be starting church and it wasn't the way I wanted it to be and it needed to be that way. Now, How many of us have attitudes like that at times when we are dealing with people? Because I can guarantee you one thing. You cannot have unity having that attitude. You can have fake unity where everybody looks at you as the dictator and just does what you want. That's not actually unity. But when you can approach people in humility and with gentleness, even when somebody is wrong. Just because they do the wrong thing doesn't mean you get to be, again, I have words in my head that I can't say, a jerk, how's that? Humility and gentleness, because that's the approach. Along with that, he adds this, With patience, and patience here, uh, I think we often think uh, in terms of like, I'm going to be patient with you, Uh, but that's actually coming. A better translation here is steadfastness, Uh, even something like enduring, it means long-lasting. 
So I'm to have this attitude of humility and gentleness, but I'm also supposed to, to hold on, to not let go, to persevere is the idea behind this word. In this right here, um, bearing with one another in love. All right, I love that phrase, bearing with. Here's the other thing about Paul. Not only has he actually done this, he's worked with the jerks like me, and he stuck it out. But he recognizes every single person that he is writing to, both in Ephesus, Asia Minor, and today in Pink Elementary. We are all fallen. Every one of us makes mistakes. We treat people poorly sometimes. We ignore people sometimes. We have very inappropriate reactions sometimes to worship leaders. We mess up. And sometimes we're not even sorry about it. Sometimes we just, we don't care. When he says bearing with one another, Paul doesn't have some false notion that like, oh, everything is wonderful all the time. You know that phrase, it's all good? It's not. That's a dumb phrase. It is not all good. Like there's a bunch of bad. And Paul's like, I know that. I know we're all messed up. I know we all hurt each other. He says, but God did all of this. I want you to bear with one another. And I want you to steadfastly do it. Hold, keep going. Bear with one another in love. This is what I thought about when I thought of bearing with one another. Um, And this isn't the case for everybody. But even if it's not the case for you, you're going to know what I'm talking about. I think of in-laws. Bearing with, I think of in-laws. Where you come into this new family and like, Maybe it's both sides, maybe it's one side, but they're hard. And, and like, you just kind of want to go, no, like, I don't even want to be around you. Um, but if you're in a marriage, you can't escape your in-laws. I mean, they're part of your family now. And, and what you hope happens is you learn to bear together in love. Like, the reason that you do some of what you do is not not because they changed, but because you love your spouse. And because hopefully if you love your spouse, you're gonna love your spouse's parents even if they drive you crazy. I've also thought of a roommate. Have you ever had a roommate that was like really a pain in the rear? Um, And please don't think about your spouse right now. That's not fair. I saw some of you looking over at the person you're married to. Sometimes we do have to Bear with one another, whether it's a roommate or a friend or even a spouse, in love. This is Paul recognizing it is not perfect. And it's not just going to get that way. He says, but God has brought us all together. Not only has he brought us together, he is working with us as a body. Remember the end of chapter 2? He's building a temple for him to dwell He's working with us as a body and, don't miss this, he's moving all things towards unity. That's his goal. So right now we have a, a way of walking worthily of all of that 
by being humble with each other and gentle, by steadfastly bearing with one another in love, even when it's hard, and it will be. I mean, it's going to be. And he says, and here is what you are ultimately doing. Look at verse three. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Can I tell you something? You don't build unity in the body of Christ. You maintain what God has already built, or you tear it down, but you don't build it. You see, when you were brought into Christ, you were indwelled by the same spirit that every other believer is indwelled by. That unity is already there. And what Paul is saying is, I'm not asking you to go build something. I'm asking you to totally change your perspective and go, I want you to maintain what God has already done. God has made it this way, and it's going to end this way. Can I tell you that in eternity, just hear this. If you remove sin from the equation, do you understand what relationships would be like? If you take out all of our pettiness and our arrogance and our pride and our hurt and our guilt and all the things that are part of sin, you understand what relationships would be like? The kind of love and care, the kind of honoring we would have of each other? That's actually where we're going. God has started that right now by saying, you're all one now. I want you to maintain that. I want you to hold it for what it is. Through humility and gentleness and steadfastly bearing with one another in love. Be eager to hold up what God has already done. And to say he's already done it, here's what Lori read when she was talking about the mission trip. Paul goes on to say, let me just show you what I mean by he's already done it. Verse four. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. There's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism. There's one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You see, there's not actually another option if you're following the living God. Because there is only one. In Christ, it was all made one. You can't just step outside of it. Any more than any of us can go breathe water. You can't do that. You're not set up to do it. The body of Christ is set up for this right here. We are unified in him. With all of our struggles and all of our pain and all of the stuff that doesn't work well, we're still one. And he says, I want you to look at this not as you building something, but as you are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are family. Do you like all of your family? I, I don't. <laughs> I love them all. I don't like them all. Um, I've got some bad people in my family. They've done some really awful things, and they're, not, they're just not good people. They're still family. We're family. Hey, when you get in a fight with your brother or your sister, 
ideally, you don't just go, I reject you, we're no longer related, and I never want to talk to you again. Now, if that's happened to you, I'm sorry. I hope someday the Lord can bring healing. But that isn't the normal response in families. Typically, you get in fights, but your family, I mean, you're still family. He says, I want you to see each other as the family that you are. You can't walk away from that and still be part of the family because that's what we are. There's so much more to say about this. We're going to hit part of it next week um, as he moves into gifts. In fact, part of the reason he's even bringing up the unity is because of the gifts. Um, He's going to say in verse 7, but you've all been given different gifts. And that's what we're going to talk about next week um, is how the unity and the diversity go together because they're there. And he doesn't want the diversity to ruin the unity. But brothers and sisters, and I don't say that as a, like just a saying that we do in Christianity. That's actual. If, if we believe what the scriptures say, that's real. Like we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And we've been brought together into one body, one new man in Christ. And Paul says there's one way you can honor what God has done. You can maintain that unity. You can walk in such a way as much as you can. You can't control other people. As much as you can, you can approach people humbly and with gentleness. You can steadfastly bear with people as you fight your struggles in love as a way of maintaining what God has started and what God will complete It's coming to fruition at some point. We just get to be a part of it now. One week, one week after that sign was erected, the building was demolished. And there's a picture of the sign with all the bricks behind it. One week it was demolished. The owners of the land decided they wanted to use the land for something else. And so they demolished the building. The owners of the land were the church next to it. It's an African-American church. I just, I want you to think of the tragic irony of that. This man actually helped build part of the equality that the members of this church get to enjoy. And they then tore it down. And that picture is such a stark. Here's the sign honoring this person and it's just rubble behind it. One of the ladies from the church in an interview said following the demolition, she was actually picking through the bricks, trying to find stuff that was valuable, that remembered what this thing stood for. 
the son of George, had gone to the church and begged them, please don't do this. Don't do it. I mean, the city even. It's a historical landmark that people go through this area and see, and it stands for something. They tore it down. When they went to put the plaque in, the lady who was in charge of this, she did not know any of this was happening. They got to the building. It had signs on it already, condemned, that they were going to demolish it. And like they went ahead and went through with the ceremony because they wanted to honor it anyway, but like they knew it was coming. Let us not be people that are tearing down what God has built and giving it nothing more than lip service. Oh yeah, I believe in the body. I believe in unity. Here's my plaque. And yet, behind the scenes, we're tearing it down. We're not living in unity. We're not humbly and gently coming to each other. We're tearing down the very thing that God built, not us. When instead, church, we have the opportunity in all of the pain and the beauty, in all of the struggle and the joy of being a part of this amazing thing that God is moving all of creation towards, not just us, all of creation, towards being completely unified in Christ Jesus. Let's be a part of that. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, for some of us, unity is pretty natural. Some of us get along with people pretty well. It's pretty easy for us. For others of us, it's harder. Either because we have been hurt, sometimes because we just have a wrong attitude, sometimes it could be our arrogance or our pride. This is not easy, Lord but you have done so much. Will you strengthen us to walk in a way that is worthy of the calling to which you have called us? Lord, help us to see one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us to humbly and gently come to each other and to bear up because relationships are hard. And just because we're in the body doesn't make them easier. Lord, strengthen us, help us that we can honor you and we can be the people you've called us to be. In Christ's holy name we ask it, amen.